0: This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 85. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now your host, Kristen Trumpy. Hey, hello and welcome. Today, I'm finally um, doing part three of the politics mini series that started during the um, election time. And um, I kind of wanted to publish this a long time ago, and it just, it just, new things keep happening and new thoughts keep popping up. So, this is, um, if it feels a bit unfinished, that's because it is. I'm a bit overwhelmed with how many thoughts and feelings are going around, um, both in the world, but also inside of me, because it's just such an interesting topic to think about. And there are just so many things that are happening and that, um, you know, we could respond to. So I'm going to give it a go today, although it doesn't maybe feel finished the way I hope that other episodes do feel a little bit more finished. Um, Yeah, so let's just go with that. Um I, I I will start, probably it's a little bit about two part um, today. So the first will really be um, about what I feel, the kind of truths that we need to confront if we want to move forward. And I think this is really important. It might also be a bit difficult. It might make you feel a little bit defensive. Um, I don't know. I, I hope it doesn't because whatever I'm saying are all things that I experience and see in myself. So I'm not basically just blaming everybody who's not like me. I'm kind of also calling out certain tendencies that I see within myself. And I think we have to all um, confront these things within ourselves first um, to move forward. And the second part is really pointing out how much the two parties have in common and on what common ground could be built now I realized that at least if I'm you know judging by the Facebook feed that's always a filter bubble by the way that I have I see that there's a lot of activism going out around um, in liberal circles and you know I think I think that's a good thing I think it's it was high time that we wake up and see that we can't just outsource, um, development of society to politicians and CEOs, that's just not not a good idea. So I'm, I'm glad that, you know, even if you don't like Mr. Trump, he has definitely woken up a lot of people. And I think it's really crucial what kind of activism we get into. And the reason is that when you're fueled by anger, that's actually an awesome thing because it makes it makes you so pissed off that you will actually start doing things that you wouldn't have considered before. I mean, now this is the first time I think ever that I'm seeing all different kinds of people posting phone numbers of senators and governors and, and all of that. And you know what? In a way, it's a good thing. The part that worries me is like the, 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 mar- the martial part of it where it's like, Let's check out why the Tea Party is so successful and copied their tactics. For example, now from a you know or art of war perspective, I understand that that's smart in the short run because, after all, if we like it or not, the Tea Party has managed to get through quite a lot of things that they wanted and to block, more importantly, things that they didn't want. So it seems like strategically sound choice to just be like, all right, we'll just copy their tactics and then just block everything that we don't like. and, And we are allowed to do that because after all, that's what they have done to us for eight years. And the thing is that if you think about the future, all right, not just in maybe four years, but in general, if you think about the future, where did does that kind of behavior lead us? And that's something that I want you to think about. Now, as I said, it's awesome. <clears throat> Excuse me, go for your activism. Go for your you know, be involved, be interested in politics by all means. But I know it's hard and that's what I think is kind of my job. You know, like it's it's even a cliche, right? The the neutral neutral Switzerland who is kind of between two warring. Parties basically or countries. Um, So, who knows? Maybe it's almost like my Swiss patriotic duty. And by the way, I don't think this is a US topic. I actually think this is a world topic. I think the US is a great um, platform to examine because the whole world is paying attention. Um, I think people are also paying attention to Britain, but way less than what's happening in America. And I'm sure you could even look at other countries where similar things are happening. So I'm not, you know, any way kind of calling out Americans or implying that this is about America and they have to get over themselves. No, this is a topic that is for all of us. And these are things that we all need to look at. Now, one thing that I will talk about is something that I've only heard like one or two people in the meantime bring up in the media. And it's actually, in my eyes, the most important thing. So stay tuned for that. So, first of all, I'd like to start with a few helpful ideas and assumptions. Um, Before we dive into the actual concepts, let's lay down a little bit of a foundation here. So, there is nothing and nobody, we have more influence and power to change than ourselves. I know it's a cliche, I know we hear it all the time, yet somehow we don't seem to act according to it that often. Um... We have to act on it. Otherwise, there's no point in annoying stuff if we just do nothing about that. The more, we foc- the more focus we place on changing ourselves, the more we inspire others. You know, I hear a lot of people who say like, well, you know, it's so awesome. You can, you can talk to people and inspire people and I'd love to do the same. And I think it's very important that you cannot do that unless you are willing to do the work inside of yourself people are not inspired by people who just preach um, they're inspired by people where they know that it that it comes from a deep inner truth um, so if you are able to embody the values that you that you want to bring into this world that you want to make stronger in this world that's when people will listen to you We are very clear on what we, expect from others but what is our responsibility what is your responsibility my dear listener If people are not yet listening to what you have to say or what your political group has to say i would think you know we have to the, the tendency is to just scream louder but usually people then just you know put on earplugs and that's that so instead of screaming louder If something we've been doing for a long time has not worked, how about we do something different? And that something different can be, all right, if they're not listening, what part of the message are they not connecting to? That is an important question. Now, there are a lot of things in terms of, um, and that's why I think it can be safely said that there's a certain awakening, awakening happening now, where... The image we have either of our country or of a party or even ourselves clashes with reality in such an obvious way that we just cannot um, pretend otherwise anymore. And I think that's actually quite maddening. You know, if you think like, well, we've done a great job at, at creating this really you know, tolerant and, and freedom-loving society. And then it's like, boop, nope, <laughs> there is still a huge huge number of people who, who have very different ideas about what freedom is than you do. And by the way, they think your ideas are dumb. And that's painful. That's hurtful. And I think there's a lot of energy coming out of that. So it might be difficult to hear the things that I'm saying. And I want to just be really clear about it. If we keep choosing the things which are the easiest and that come the most normal the most reflexive answers and responses we will not change our reality that is just i have to be very clear on that we can change that is based on the idea that the others have to change will not happen or it will happen in a way that is completely different from what we imagine and if you don't believe that, um, I challenge you to give me an example of something where people would just, you know, not change their, their own ways, not change their own tactics, and then just eventually people would be like, oh yeah, I see, I was a complete idiot. Thank you for pointing that out. Like, I'd be really super interested if you have examples. We have to learn to kind of weigh up the discomfort that we feel by looking at these clashes between image and reality and um, just avoiding that discomfort, but where that would leave us. That's very important. And we pay for it in our own life because that's precisely one of the biggest things that keeps us from getting what we want. If we just consistently avoid things which give us discomfort just because, you know, they're uncomfortable. So let's not go there happiness, success, meaning none of these things just fall into our lap. None of them just happen if we stay coddled in whatever reality we have constructed for ourselves. And I want to be clear, there's no way, no surefire way to say that we can attain these things all the time, or that there's a surefire path to go there. But there are paths which are incredibly unlikely to lead there let's put it that way so let's go over some of these necessary disillusionments number one we can go about our lives and public life will somehow just function without our input and you know nothing that we appreciate was just given to us somebody had to fight that you know for you to have a weekend if you have one Um, somebody had to fight so that you can vote yes and even white privileged males had absolutely nothing to say um in the past when it was just about the king um this idea that we can leave it to the beaver um that only works if we like the direction that our country is going and you know sometimes i don't know if you've lived like that like for me sometimes you know what Sometimes I don't feel the need to vote because I think my country is doing okay. I, I don't always feel the need to be the same amount of political, so to speak. Then another necessary disillusionment that, we th- that I think we should examine is the consumer mentality. You know, Consuming means that something comes to your attention, you acquire it, you use it, and then it's gone, and you look for the next thing. And consumers expect things to happen immediately. Consumers expect to be satisfied without really having to put anything in except money. But nowadays with the internet, there's so much you can get even for free, right? And as a consumer, we can blame the seller or the producer of the product and even ask for a refund. Now, I'm not saying these things are wrong per se, but I think it's important to kind of think about in which situations is the consumer mindset helpful? Um, And in which situations is it not helpful? And instead of a consumer mindset, I would propose more of a creator's mindset. And creators, they tune into the world around them, and they look for issues that need to be solved, which overlap with what they are good at and interested in creation is a process. It's not an event. It's not something you just sneeze out and then it's there. The creator also takes responsibility for what is happening. And when things don't immediately work out the way the creator envisioned, the person will, you know, pivot and try different things until something hits. We also act i'm sure we don't really believe it if asked explicitly but we do act as if problems problems will just go away by themselves if we ignore them long and hard enough now that's something that mr trump is making very hard for us to do also we don't create an environment in which politicians can tell us the truth the voter is not always right. And if we have no mechanism to address those problems, we will forever be stuck in a cycle of blaming others without ever moving forward. And if we think every single detail about somebody's life as a reason to kick them out of office, there is nobody left to do the job. I mean, imagine if people would kick you out of your job um, for every time that you've maybe been drunk and somebody happened to take a picture of you or something like if every mistake or everything you do would have public uh, you know and very real consequences you know who was left over who is left over to do the job also because we take every mistake to be this grand moral failure um we make politicians blackmailable um and and that's something that you know i understand i i I really get it because I also have family who are maybe, you know, they're super religious and and they do not, you know, for for whatever reason, do not approve of of people being gay, for example, right? I get it, I really get it. However, is somebody being gay like a good enough reason to um, to kick them out of office altogether? Or is like one single remark? Um, oh, that somebody does not hooray every um, liberal idea that their party likes, a reason to kick them out. And I think there's this thing where everybody's just like watching everybody like hawks. And this is not just true for politicians. It's also true for celebrities. And then we just kind of descend on them. And, And I'm not saying they did nothing to get into those situations. I'm just saying that's not... The environment in which truth actually happens if you think about what does it take what what do we need for people to trust that's what we need to work on and and we cannot expect people to tell the truth if every single thing is like this big scandal and we're we're like oh my god like they are the only person who have ever done anything you know that's And I get it you want people to be good role models for your kids and everything but really I mean it's one thing to to be a good you know moral example and it's a very other thing just to have like these completely unrealistic expectations and and that's something that you know no politician can tell you that because if if they say yo voters what are you doing I would love to tell you the truth that you know about me but you'll kick me out so where are my options and I think that is really important that's also true in our daily lives you know people say like oh i i want him or her to tell me the truth but every time they do you yell at them and scream at them well of course they're not going to tell you the truth then there's another disillusionment that I think, or illusion that needs to go. And that's this idea that in rules, regulations and punishments, we trust. We place this irrational faith in rules and regulations and and punishment to drive behavior. And we completely forget and ignore the long-term consequences of that. Another tendency we have is to kind of fetishize moments, right? So we think that change, or we act at least, as if change is made out of these big moments, right? A um, When the Berlin Wall fell, or at the Women's March, or the inauguration, or 9-11. And these kind of moments can start something, they can turn around something that is already happening, and they can end things. But the important, they're just one percent of the effort put in behind the scenes i mean if you think about it nelson mandela um, who was one of the biggest drivers um, behind ending apartheid in south africa he wasn't in in prison for 27 years before apartheid actually ended and people didn't you know turn into uh, terrorists overnight something happened there and it also took quite a while for Americans to get even the most basic rights. And and this doesn't sound cool, you know, in a time where we can instantly get everything. But I think that's also one thing we can do to appreciate the people. When we see that a new bill is signed or a new law is signed, you know, there are some people had to work behind the scenes for 15 or 20 years just to even get that done and those are the kind of people we want to value and if we value those kind of people what difference would it make there is also this misconception that we live in a time of unprecedented you know put in whatever you want crime or insecurity or change and and it's it's strange because crime is not higher today than it was decades ago but we feel so much less safe. And we somehow think that our challenges are bigger than everybody else's faced before us. And I understand why that is, because obviously our experience is the thing we know the best, but that doesn't mean that humanity has not learned and gained some experiences in dealing with certain things. So how are you doing? Um, yeah, I understand. It's I hope, I hope it's not too hard to hear these things. I'm not quite done yet, but I promise you we will get to the hopeful and optimistic bit in a few minutes. So let's go on to stories that don't serve us well, and there are many, but I picked out three. Number one, they're the problem. Now, I don't know if you happen to remember the episode on the happiness myths, Um, but if you don't, just go back and look for them, because waiting for other people to change, I know I've said this, but I'll say this again, is usually not how we get what we want. Then another story that doesn't serve us that well, the 1% is screwing us. Now, To be perfectly clear, I also think that tons of unkosher things are going on behind closed doors, all right? So there's no part of me that's defending some of the things that are going on. But if 99% of people grow a backbone, the screwing will stop pretty fast, you know, because who will execute on, on, on on their schemes if we actually learn to stand up for what we really believe in. Then another story that doesn't serve us that well is this idea that, well, it's either the environment or the economy. Um, Pick any two topics that are usually pit against each other. Um, Just to point out, you know, California grows double the rate of the average US economy and yet they have the biggest clean energy industry. So one way that people hold power, keep that power, is by setting up two desirable things as opposites. And I'd urge you to take a look at that. You know, when people say like, oh, we can't have this or that. Um, well, really? Is that, is that as unrealistic as going to the moon was in, in 1961 or 63? I mean, probably not. Then I talked about it before when I talked about the truth, um, the climate of truth, and it's kind of a related topic, and that's how we view politicians in general. We have generalized that all politicians are corrupt. Um, Again, this does not come from nowhere. Um, I'm sure a lot of them are. But why would a sane, honest, and caring person become a politician? You know, can they even survive And if they can, there are not a lot of incentives apart from a huge portion of idealism. and I think the problem is that if we think everybody is corrupt, we will overlook and fail to support those who are maybe not. And it's important the the num the amount of money that's needed to win elections and stuff that makes it very hard for people who don't want to be, you know, Um, helped out and corrupted by, um, you know, kind of forces that they shouldn't be (laughs) connected to, they have a hard time getting into office. So I think that's also something we can do that we create mechanisms and we expect, for example, our journalists to go out there and find promising political talent and ensure that they can rise up without having to take money that will corrupt them and screw screw them and screw all of us in the end and last but not least and then i'm done with the rant (laughs) is this idea of the imperfect voter as i said before um no politician can actually tell you the truth because if if they say well you elected this official that's your problem like why why do you keep voting for people who are bad for your city or bad for your country we would just throw it in their face by voting them out of office. But we need, I mean, think about in your own life, like just think what it would be like if nobody could have ever pointed out to you things that are not going well. Now, as you know, I'm not someone who thinks we should point these things out rudely or in a, in a disrespectful way. But if, if there's nothing we ever do to self-correct how we go through life, that's kind of a problem. And we need, as a voter, we need to be able to be there and be like, you know what? Voting for that guy or that woman was a mistake. And I will learn from it. And not only will I learn from this, I will also teach my kids how to think about what politicians are doing, what their performance is like, you know. So that's that. Now before we come to the common ground section, um, I would like to you to give some thought to this um, idea of a democracy that deserves its name. What would that look like? And, I, you know, I think I don't want to really talk about it too much. But one thing that's very clear is that the rules are set before the game. So unless you complained about the Electoral College before the voting went down there is it's quite actually you know anti-democratic to now talk about the popular vote and i know this is a very you know that's a statement that's that will probably anger some people and i'll tell you why would you have accepted the oppositions the opposition if he it would have reacted the same way let's just flip the tables for a second Let's imagine that Hillary would have won the Electoral College, but Donald Trump would have got the popular vote. And I saw some of those tweets. They're like, Trump, put on your big boy pants. You have to deal with it. You'll have to stand with the result no matter what it is. And I agreed to be, per- I perfectly agree with that statement. But we have to do the same no matter whether our candidate wins or loses and if we think the popular vote should be the deciding thing we have to get that going on a political track we cannot just sit here and say this is an illegitimate president because he's not he was voted in based on the rules that were set and the same would have happened if Hillary Clinton would have won so that's very important. You can't just impeach a president because you don't like him and he's doing his job even if you don't agree with it. And that's very important. I would like you to think about, regardless of the people, re- regardless of you know party lines, what does a democracy look like that deserves its name? What are the rules that it plays by? And most importantly, what kind of rules do I stand by even if I don't get what I want? But I will accept them nevertheless because I care more about democracy than I care about getting what I want right now. That's an important thing that I would really love you to think about. So let's get to common ground. Now we are all super aware of the difference between Republicans and Democrats and They may seem insurmountable. And I want to be perfectly clear that I'm not negating that some very real and very challenging differences exist. I just think they got more than enough airtime and that we should think about the other side of the coin as well. Conservative and progressives are, to me, and progressive are to me not just political concepts. Um, These are forces that come into play whenever and wherever living beings exist and interact with each other. Biological evolution, for example, balances tried and tested mechanisms and structures with mutations which lead to lasting change if they prove effective. So every single animal and plant unites attributes that can be traced back thousands or even millions of years and other aspects which are fairly new. So we need to conserve things so we don't die, but we need to progress things so that we can evolve. And you can't have one without the other. Science evolves, you know, by relying on tested principles, we can Put each scientific finding in a framework that tells us not just about a single study, but how this relies to other knowledge we have. And if we would use different math and different methods for each scientific paper, it would be pretty incomprehensible very quickly. By taking risks and daring to pursue ideas, which sounded crazy, we can make big scientific leaps. But we also need conservative scientists to make sure that the newest gadget you own doesn't just explode in your face or drop from the sky. Then religion and spiritual life evolves. Um, some things that we look at as, a, as new agey are thousands of years old, like yoga and meditation. Other things, like for example, dress codes and different religions, they go back only 200 years or so. The workplace, every team has people who are more rule-focused and ensure a certain order, while others are more concerned with improving the existing or inventing completely new approaches. And I hope you see how the need to conserve what we have for stability is just as needed to move forward as the forward motion itself. And this is true not just in politics, but in, I would argue, probably all realms of life. So some of the political differences are actually about priority and not about absolutes. For example, just because you don't actively support feminist causes doesn't mean you're automatically a misogynist. It could simply mean that you deem other issues to be more pressing and that those should be addressed before. Or you genuinely don't see why a problem has not been resolved yet as it looks pretty good to you. Or you have experienced firsthand some unintentional side effects of similar policies and want to prevent them. We have a lot of needs in common. No matter how poor or rich you are, you need clean water and clean air. We all want to be safe. We all depend on functioning infrastructure. We're all better off if the laws are fair to everyone. We all benefit from freedom of expression. We need the economy to be functioning and we all depend on technology. And these are rather abstract, big topics, so let's break it down a bit with concrete issues, all right? Let's talk about tax cuts for a moment. Traditionally, These are favored by Republicans. But individually, we like to pay less taxes no matter how much we earn, right? In general, you wouldn't mind paying less taxes, probably, right? Now, Democrats usually oppose tax cuts because they are only given to a small part of the population, or they're given to corporations, or because other vital services have to be discontinued to finance the tax cuts but if you're a democrat would you oppose a tax cut that is financed by discontinuing tax cuts for say coca-cola or other huge companies by discontinuing to dole out money for political campaigns for people who have no problem securing their campaign money would you mind getting a tax cut for that probably not so, this is just one way in which we can make people on both ends meet their goals, you know? And that's important. Let's take another topic question. How do you feel about buying a meal a day for 10 years for some bum kid who smokes weed all day and you don't even know? Any takers? Well, thanks to minimum sentencing of seven years or more, there are thousands of prisoners for whom your taxes pay not only one, but three meals a day, plus guards, doctor's visits, court costs. Also, the non-violent weed dealer hangs out for years and years with people who might have done worse things than he or she has. They have all the time in the world to learn about new crimes, for when they get out, figure out new schemes. Now, I understand that drugs are not a laughing matter, but the war against drugs is only good for you if you work in the prison industry. The emotional need to punish people screws Democrats and Republicans out of millions, possibly billions, who knows, maybe even more than that, which could be used elsewhere more productively. And furthermore, if you support a punitive prison system, you forget that people are eventually released from prison, right? So if you get a charming new neighbor, would you rather have someone who has been beaten down or someone who's actually learned a useful skill so they don't have to do criminal things that threaten you, your kids, and your neighborhood, right? So if you look at it from that perspective, we see that it's not that impossible to kind of come to certain, at least find common ground, and then from there, work on solutions which would actually work for both. Let's take alternative energy. Now, it's my guess that um, Republicans probably don't like the smell of exhaust in their faces any more than Democratic people do, or sorry, Democrats do. The difference is about what we perceive to be possible. So. Democrats think that clean energy can fuel the entire country at a cost that is affordable. Uh, Republicans fear that there will not be enough energy to fuel the country and or that energy bills will explode and companies will have to pay so much they will struggle. Now, fossil fuels create not only loads of health problems, they also make the world dependent on regimes such as Saudi Arabia, for example, you don't even need to address climate change to see that there are problems with being dependent on fossil fuels. So however, implementing well-intentioned but badly executed plans too soon could lead to energy blackouts. That's a real possibility that, you know, Republicans are warning us from. People losing jobs and general economic downturn, it's a possibility if it's not done right. So this illustrates that we suffer from the consequences of bad political decisions no matter which party we support. So we have both good reasons to make sure that neither of these scenarios actually happen. So how does change succeed? Um, I'd like to read to you um, a quote, and it's from a scientist called David Cooperwriter, and it says, We live in the world our questions create. I deeply believe in the truth of this statement, so if we keep asking the same questions or don't ask at all, and instead just yell at each other, nothing desirable can happen. And here is one controversial topic to illustrate this. When it comes to abortion, chances are that you have made up your mind about it years or even decades ago. Either believe that it's wrong to have an abortion, or you think that the state has no business in telling you how to deal with your personal life. And it's interesting how the usual dynamics are reversed here. Usually Republicans don't like the state to interfere. And usually Democrats think that freedom has to be curtailed for the greater good. If we could actually for a moment calm down enough to listen to to each other, we would stumble upon some inconvenient truths. Number one, um, abortions happen if we condone them or not. The only question is, will they be done in a safe environment or in a high-risk environment where the woman is likely to die or be disabled or something, which would come at a cost to the people around her, and probably the state as well. However, another completely inconvenient truth is the fact that science is having a hard time deciding when the fertilized egg turns into something that is alive. So medicine used to think that life is viable, meaning that, able, that it's able to exist outside of the womb when it's 30 weeks old. But this gets pushed back more and more as kids survive, who are, you know, 25 weeks old. Um, I think the the shortest I've heard is 23 weeks old. So suddenly, it's not so ridiculous to question whether you're killing a baby um, if you decide to abort after the 20-week mark, and that is inconvenient. It's not easy because, you know, wouldn't it be f- easier if we could just make it about choice, right? About is it your choice or not? Um, but based on where science is at, it's a very valid question. You know, um, when does it turn into life? And and when is it wrong to terminate that life? And that's an, an, a difficult question, a question for which I have no answer. But if we just keep thinking that the others are wrong no matter what, we miss out on the best possible solution for everyone. So instead of discussing whether abortion should be legal or not, maybe we could ask other questions. Um, Based on evidence, what are the safest ways of making sure that people don't get pregnant who don't want to get pregnant in the first place? Considering that a woman Uh, is only fertile for 6 out of 31 days. Um, Maybe it would make more sense to work on male contraception, more male contraception, you know, pills for the guy. Um, Even if we don't believe in the no-sex-before-marriage philosophy, is it possible that the current setup that we have is maybe less than ideal and that society encourages people To have sex for whom it's simply not psychologically healthy to do so. And we can't just always say, oh, it's our freedom, it's our freedom, or people are always going to do it anyway. Um, The question is is it possible that some people who are definitely not ready are pressured into kind of thinking they are supposed to have sex and then they are, you know, just overwhelmed with the whole thing and if you're overwhelmed you're also more likely to forget about birth control um do we are we kind of using sex as a coping mechanism because we have not learned to deal in different ways to make ourselves feel great in other ways and if we can teach people good coping techniques well who knows, maybe some uh, unfortunate sexual encounters wouldn't happen, and I think these are things that probably both sides of the of the political spectrum should be interested in asking. Then what about, apart from biology, what are other factors that lead to unwanted pregnancies? Are contraceptives affordable? Um, how can we make sure that people recognize as early as possible that they are pregnant? Um, that way even if we don't know exactly when the fertilized egg turns into life at least we can make that decision as soon as possible where it's less likely that it is a life as according to a scientific um definition at least i'm aware of the fact that it is alive um from a religious uh, point of view the moment that it happens and you know change can only happen if the environment enables it. right? It's a bit like the pH value. If it's too acidic or too alkaline, life cannot exist. And this is true with politics as well. If it's too acidic, um, political life will break down. And what I would call for is an emotional climate change. And that is not achieved by treating the others like, you know, people that we have to start a war against now i'm very aware of the fact that there's this difficult question as to when do you have a responsibility to kind of be fair and just you know live according to rules even if you don't like them because that's how democracy works versus um some threats which which can be real where where you know what if through democratic means, processes are initiated, which threaten democracy itself. And that's not something that I have an answer to. Um, I understand that under some circumstances, you know, things like um, civil disobedience are probably really, really necessary. What I'm questioning is, is a tactic of blocking and yelling and marching sufficient to get to where we need to go and my argument is no um my argument is that we really need to start asking different questions start addressing uh, inconvenient and uncomfortable truths within ourselves that we live according to these things and not just pretend that oh just the other party's president is lying um you know, I, I'll i be open. I, I liked Obama. I, I really did. But, you know, if we want to have an honest and mature discussion and political way of thinking, well, maybe we have to ask the difficult questions of our candidates. You know, why did we get into more wars than before? Like, is, is there a good reason why the U.S. is in Yemen? Is there a good reason? What's happening? Um, and not already thinking that we have the answers to all these questions, because we don't. And what about, you know, what's happening with drones? Like, well, yes, on the one hand, it's, I guess, if you have to have a war, it's probably a good thing that your soldiers are not dying. But but what are these bombs creating? They're probably creating more enemies for you. So if we are unwilling to address those questions when, um, you know, our candidate is in office, but then we yell out those things and we we kind of we do that when the opposition is um ha- is in power I, I understand why people would not take you or me that seriously you know if we accepted things under corruption and and lies under the previous administration um why do we you know of course people will be like well why does it bother you now that, that is just not, you know, they're just not lying on behalf of your ideals. And I think that's something that is really important, that we honestly confront that and are like, you know what, there's some rules, it doesn't matter how popular the person is or how much I love them, it's things that they shouldn't cross or can't cross. And um, that we are honest about that, that we value this idea that we don't have all the answers, that maybe if we, um, if we talk to people from who have a very different view from us, and if we actually do that with an intention of listening, and listening is not waiting to speak, all right? It's not just waiting until see your turn. Listening is actually hearing to what they say and leaving the possibility open to be changed by what they say. That's what listening is. Then we can have very different discussions. And I'm aware of the fact that a lot of people will not respond to this. You know, they're... Pff- Will, you know, will someone who enjoys confrontation and the way that things have been done, you know, submit to this? Probably not. But we don't have to deal with them. If we actually can unite with people from the other end of the political spectrum in working out solutions that we think would be helpful, you know, we get to our goals quicker. If we don't, if we're just like, oh, we're just going to go kamikaze and just be ninja about everything and just fight and block everything, well, guess what's going to happen? Uh, in four or in eight or in 12 years, you'll have the, the next president that you want, and then they're going to do their thing again, retaliating, and the circle of retaliation will just go on and on and on. and And that's just something that is not exactly helpful for progress. So so let's start asking different questions, even if it's hard, and even if from an emotional point of view, it would be much better just to punch someone or scream at them. Okay, so we have uh, some reviews, as I said, I have a little bit of catch-up to do, so let's get into them. Nicola writes, I'm eternally grateful for your podcast. I first came across it during a very depressive time in my life, and I listened to every episode. Your studies and thoughts sparked in me an overwhelming sense of hope and motivation to live and live well. It has also reminded me of how I enjoy psychology after I'd pushed aside after I'd pushed it aside for my studies for years. You've brought up so many points that clicked the realization in my head that I can't think of any specific one that stands out. I also love the casual and often often humorous tone and beat of the whole thing. So thank you, Kristen. Because of your work, I'm car- currently the happiest, wholesome person I've ever been, and now pursuing my own work in psychology. Please keep it up, Nicola. Hey, Nicola. Um, these are the kind of messages that you know, they can make me choked up and teary-eyed in, in public places. And, um, yeah, I, I hope that this stretch uh, continues for a very long time in your life. And, um, you know, just a heads up, I plan to do this podcast for a very, very long time. Here's Brendan. Hey, Kristen. I wanted to shoot you a note to say thank you for an amazing podcast. I stumbled upon positive psychology around a year ago and was fascinated. I then did more research and came across your podcast. I binge listened to every episode on my commute and found myself taking notes every day on things to do and look up. I look forward to new episodes and thank you for the amazing work you do. Brendan. Hey, Brendan. Um... Can I for once just return the compliment? Because without listeners like you, devoted enough to take notes and reflect and change, this would still be fun, you know, I'm not going to lie, but it would be way less meaningful. So Brendan and everybody who is like Brendan, taking notes, diligently listen to every episode, you really, really make this such a meaningful um, endeavor. And I, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Okay, so I'm not going to say more than this. If you're freaked out by horror, as in legitimately freaked out and get nightmares just by the sounds, you might want to, you know, stop the podcast now. If you enjoy a little bit of it, just have a good listen. <laughs> Young monster, I will destroy you. Hush, oh, little baby, don't say a word. Mama's gonna buy you a mockingbird. bird. Whoa, that was either creepy. Unfortunately, unprocessed fears, traumas, and wounds can create quite a horror show inside of our brain. And like those demon singers we just heard, they can make us believe that no other reality exists. Quite a few of you have told me that the podcast has helped you with this. Brainwash is a 21-day program designed to freak out those creepy voices, disrupt, and let more easy rhythm and bird whistling into your head. Check it out at gum.co slash brainwash. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yoghurt.